How does Satan harm and hinder the church today? Now, friends, be sure Satan cannot stand the church that is carrying out its God-given purpose. Now, if a church is not doing that, he, he really has no issue with the church, but a church that is carrying out its God-given mission, its God-given purpose, he cannot stand that church. He absolutely hates that church. And so be sure he continually plots against it. Understand, he is plotting against our church right now. Well, how does Satan harm and hinder the church today? Over the years, he has tried to kill its leaders. He thought that that would stop, but he started with the apostles, the disciples. He actually started with its own Savior, Jesus. He thought if he could kill the leaders, that it would stop the church. Well, it did not work. Then he thought if he could kill its followers, if he could kill Stephen and another and another, the list is great of those that have died serving the cause. He thought if he could kill its followers, that it would stop the church. Again, he was wrong and it did not work. Then he thought if he could turn the world against the church, if there could be a great persecution, but more than that, a great boiling hatred toward the church, that that perhaps would stop the church. Well, that didn't work either. In fact, the opposite proved true. Whenever it would be crushed over here, it would spring up somewhere else. It did not work. Folks, understand this morning, Satan is smart. He is no dummy. He's a lot of things. He's no dummy. He is crafty. He is intelligent. And he has decided the way to harm and hinder the church is to corrupt its truth. That's what he decided. The way you stop the church, the way you hinder the church is to corrupt its truth. You see, it is in the truth that Jesus is known. That's what we believe. It is in the truth that the gospel is heard and received. It is in truth that salvation takes place. And so he has decided the way to harm the church, the way to hinder the church is to corrupt its truth. So he does several things. One of the things he does, he attacks the message of truth, the Bible. He disparages the Bible. He tries to discredit the Bible. He attacks the message of truth, the Bible. Be sure he is hard at work doing that right now. And another thing that he does is this. He corrupts the messengers of the truth, its preachers. He corrupts the messengers of the truth, its preachers. And in doing so, doing these things, he grinds to a halt the mission of the church. Today, this very day, today, the greatest damage to the church, the greatest damage to the cause of Christ, listen to me, it's not by attacks of the culture. Sometimes we get upset about that. It's not by corrupt politicians. Sometimes we get upset by that. It's not by any outside force. No, the greatest damage being done to the church today is by false teachers in and around the church. And you look around today, you go to the internet, you listen to all the preachers out there, some of the folks filling pulpits today. One of the, one of the great things that he does to, to wreck the church is to put false teachers in and around the church. That is our day. That is happening right now. And let me tell you this, Satan absolutely loves it. When our revival, our 30-day revival, 
We have now moved to the book of 2 Peter. And to help us be prepared to stand, to help us be stirred up in our walks of faith with Christ, Peter now turns and he dresses the important subject of false teachers, of false preachers. Our first message in 2 Peter today is entitled, Oh, for the knowledge of God. Oh, for the knowledge of God. We start off 2 Peter chapter 1, today verses 1 through 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, today verses 1 through 4. Oh, for the knowledge of God. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. During Father, we come today and we, we come asking that you would speak. We come with a sense of expectation. We ask that you would move. Lord, we pray that you've been pleased in our worship today. We, we pray that we've put our ears and our hearts and our eyes focused on our Savior Jesus. And now as we open your word, Lord, we ask for a, for a marvelous impact. We ask for fruit to be born as we hear the voice of our God through your word. Lord, I pray that you would make it clear. I pray that you would make it plain. And again, I pray that it would bear much fruit in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our church, and in our culture. May the fruit be folks that would find Jesus Christ, turn to Jesus Christ. Lord, we come, and again, we're just thankful that you love us enough to speak, that you love us enough to give us your word. I pray again that you bless the study of it. I, I pray, Lord, if there's somebody that doesn't know you in this hour, in this room, in the hearing of this message in some other way, I pray if they do not know you, that any hindrance to their turning to you in faith would be removed, and today might be the day of their salvation. And Lord, we echo the song we were singing earlier, all glory be to Christ, every bit of it. Should nothing of our legacy remain, all glory be to Jesus Christ. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Remember last year when we went verse by verse to the Gospel of John, this, this time last year we were winding up, preparing to wind up that study. Do you remember why we kept seeing that John wrote that Gospel? Now it started at the beginning, it traveled all the way through it. Do you remember why we kept seeing why John wrote that Gospel? Why God compelled him to write his gospel. Well, remember, it was to uphold the truth of who Jesus is and to uphold the truth of what the gospel is. 
Those two things, we kept seeing it. This is who Jesus is. And this is what the gospel is. And this is who Jesus is. And this is what the gospel is. And over and over, John was pounding the truth. This is who Jesus is. This is what the gospel is. Well, Peter, we find, as we move into the second letter, is on the same course. He is on the same cause, and he has the same message. This is the truth. This is the gospel we hold. This is the Savior of that gospel. Now, the question is this. Why? Why did John do it? Why is Peter doing it here? Why? Do you remember this? It is because if you miss the truth, if you change it, if you distort it, if you adapt it, if you remove it, if you miss the truth, you miss Jesus. And if you miss Jesus, let me tell you, friend, you miss everything. That's why this is the battle. That's why they take up this cause. Listen, if you miss the truth, you miss Jesus. And if you miss Jesus, you've missed it all. Peter, in his first letter, encouraged the church to stand in suffering. Well, now he writes the second letter to the same people, encouraging them now to stand on the truth. First, he says, hard times are coming. Be prepared to stand in suffering. Well, now in the second letter, he encourages them to stand on the truth. Now, I want to ask this. Do you see how relevant both of those letters are today? Do you see how needed those are today? Look at our world. Look at our culture. The world hates the truth. It would try to impose suffering on those that would uphold the truth. Do you see how needed, precisely relevant those letters are today? All right, let's go to our verses. Starting in verse 1, I'm going to read it. We'll look at it. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. All right, it starts off and it says, Simon Peter. He's writing who, telling who is writing the letter, Simon Peter. Now that is different than the first letter. Now in this one, it gives his birth name, Simon, but also gives his name given by Jesus, Peter. Simon Peter, he is identified. At this point, understand, most likely he is in prison in Rome. At this point, he knows his death is shortly coming. Now, Jesus told him that he would die for the cause. In fact, told him how he would die for the cause. But now it is upon him, and he knows his death is shortly coming. Now, I want you to think about that. Think how that must impact you. Think how that must make you urgent, how it must change your priorities. He knows his death is shortly coming. As he starts, he describes himself a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. A bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. A bondservant is literally a slave. Peter identifies himself as a voluntary servant, a slave of Jesus. Now that doesn't sound very dignified, but that's what he says. I am a slave of Jesus. Now what that means is, he is totally given to following Jesus as Lord. Jesus, you set the course. Jesus, you set the path. I am your servant. I am your slave, and I follow you as such. He also says an apostle. Now, remember, this is a select group 
called by Jesus, commissioned by Jesus, and witness to the resurrected Jesus. Remember, they were to speak the word of God, just like the office of the Old Testament prophet, these apostles, they are responsible for our New Testament today. Now, I want you to notice something right here. While we can't be apostles today, understand that, that office is closed. While we can't be apostles today, listen, we can and in fact are invited to be bondservants of Jesus today. And so listen, you're listening to these 30 days. You have the word of God going in. You're thinking about the cause of Jesus Christ. And you would say, you know what? I want to serve Christ totally. I'm tired of holding things back. You say, you know what? I want to be useful to the work of Jesus Christ. I want to be an instrument in the hand of God. You say, you know what? I want to be available like this, like Peter was. Well, I want to tell you the, the deal is, the truth is, you can be. We can be. Sometimes we read of these folks and say, we could never be that. Listen, we can be. You can be a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, I thought about that. How awesome would it be to be known as, put your name, a bondservant of Christ? Fred, a bondservant of Christ. Chuck, a bondservant of Christ. We can be bondservants of Christ. That is the truth, all right? Now, Peter then describes the recipients of this second letter. Again, most likely it is the same group that received the first letter. Some time has passed. Some things have developed. But most likely it's the same group that received the first letter. He goes on and he says, identifying them to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Those that are receiving the letter, they have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Now, the literal reading is of the same value, of the same most literal translation, preciousness of ours. They have received a faith of the same preciousness as ours. The recipients of the letter have received. The word received means having obtained. They have received a faith. They have received a faith. Now, I'll just, I'm going to go slow here. There are two ways to see that, and there are two ways to understand that, but only one of them is right. So I'm going to tell you both of them. One way is that they received a faith, or they received faith. And I see some of the teachers of this idea, they take out the word A, and they say they have received faith. And so they teach God gave them faith, and so they possess faith, and they stand in that faith. God gave them the faith, therefore they are saved and they have faith. There are many that teach that. The other way to read it, and I believe the correct way to read it, is A, faith. Look at our translation, it says A, faith. Faith in this understanding means a set of doctrines that make up a truth. God gave them a faith. He gave them a truth, and it's of the same value, the same preciousness that they receive. I think it's a lot like in the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt necessary to write to you appealing 
that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. It's a set of facts that make up the truth, the faith that we hold, the faith that we trust and believe. Now, let me tell you why I believe that. You see, if you believe God gives you faith, and I'm talking about a saving faith, if God gives you faith and you have the faith, we can end right there. And so I I read a couple guys, and they said, well, God gives you a faith, and there's an irresistible grace, and you can't reject it, and if he gives it, you have it, and you're saved. If he gives you the faith, you have it, and we can end right there. Listen, there's no need for the rest of the letter. Because God gives true faith, facts, there's no need to worry about false faith. And so we don't need a letter about false teachers. If God gives you a faith, and in that faith you're saved, listen, we don't have to worry about false teachers. And so the point of the whole second letter becomes pointless. We're going to warn about false teachers. Well, listen, if God gives you the faith and you're saved in the faith, we don't have to worry about false teachers. We can end it right here. Now, I thought about that. If that is the case, then this is just a letter from Peter to say to these folks, hey, y'all, that's what it would be. Hey, letter's over. God gave you faith. You're saved. And I don't have to warn you of a false faith. Hey, y'all. Listen, that's not it. They have received a truth. They have received a truth that we're going to see is of precious value. The verse goes on. It says, they received it by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. They received the faith. They received the gospel, the truth of the faith by the righteousness, the rightness of God and Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to start to see this. This truth, this truth, the truth, God in his righteousness, that that means something. Jesus in his righteousness makes it available. Praise the Lord for that. Listen to me. That is grace. That is kindness towards sinners. This precious faith, the truth, God doesn't hide it. God doesn't give it to some and remove it from others. No, he gives the truth. He gives the faith. That's what we're seeing here. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind, precious value as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, let's look at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace, Peter says, be multiplied. The word multiplied translates increased to maximum capacity. Increased to maximum capacity. Now, that's a hard word to explain, but let let me try. It's not added to. It's not one plus one plus one plus one. No, it is multiplied. It's not some grace and some peace, and then we have some more grace and some more peace. No, 
It is multiplying multitudes. That's the definition. Multiplying multitudes of grace and peace. Now, I want you to get the picture. You need the grace of God. He sends multiplying multitudes of grace to you. You need the peace of Jesus Christ. He sends multiplying multitudes of peace to you. Now, here's the big deal. It's in the knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. Now, I want us to get that this morning. God's grace and God's peace are known to us and are multiplied to us in the knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. Now, that's a huge thing. I want to say that again. Listen to me very carefully. God's grace and God's peace are known to us, are multiplied to us in the knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. Do you see how important now the truth is? God's grace is revealed through it. It's multiplied through it. God's peace is known and multiplied through it. Do you see how important the truth is? When we know the truth of God, and when we're growing in the knowledge of God, when we know the truth of Jesus, our Lord, when we're growing in the knowledge of Jesus, our Lord, we find God's grace and God's peace. It is multiplied to us. And then listen, and when we are not, when we do not have a knowledge of God and of Christ, when we're not growing in that, we do not have the grace and the peace of God. Now listen to me. Today, believers go around and we become fearful and we become discouraged. And we become robbed of our peace. And hey, it happens. You watch believers and they go around and say, well, I don't know what we're going to do about this election. I don't know what we're going to do about inflation. I don't know if another pandemic were to strike. Oh, I'm so discouraged. No one wants to hear the message anymore. I'm so discouraged. We're robbed of our peace. We can't sleep at night. It's because we do not have a deep, growing, multiplying knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. There's the formula. You want peace? You want to know God's grace? You're going to have to know God, and you're going to have to know his son, Jesus. And the way we know him is through his word. The knowledge here in verse 2, it is more than a simple set of facts. It is more than a basic knowledge. It is depth. It is a deep understanding of God and Jesus, our Lord. Listen, we're intimidated by that. We're scared of that. A deep, I, I don't know about that. I, I just want to go to heaven. I, I don't know about that. I, I've got other things going on. It is a deep understanding. And that is Peter's prayer here in verse 2. That is his desire. Oh, that grace and peace will be multiplied as the knowledge and the truth of God is multiplied as well. Let me tell you something. In this 30-day revival. We are going verse by verse. And I'll just tell you this, we're actually going word by word through 1 Peter and 2 Peter. That's what we're doing. That's what we've endeavored to do. And I want to tell you the greatest result of this would be that we would grow deeply in our knowledge of God and Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. 
That would be the greatest fruit of that. Hey, we want to see folks saved. Yeah, that would happen. We want to see the church carry out the mission of the church. That'd be great. Yeah, that would happen. We want to see homes get right and parents get right. Yeah, that will happen. But the greatest thing that could happen is that we would grow in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Again, so do you see now why the truth matters? What if we come up here and preach something else? What if we come up here and preach non-truth? What if we come up here and preach and teach and study a, a, a version that's not true? Why is this so precious? Don't you see now why Peter writes to defend it? To stand for it, encouraging us to do the same? All right, moving to verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now that sounds like a loaded up verse because it is. Now let me read that to you again. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. All right, this is a great truth. This is a great promise here in verse 3. Now I want you to watch this. Through the true knowledge of him, listen, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. You know who that's talking about? That's talking about Jesus. That's talking about Jesus. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through the true knowledge of Jesus. Now, what is that? Through the true knowledge of Jesus, that is the truth that he is God. That is the truth that he's the creator. That is the truth that he's the savior for sorry sinners. That is the truth that he's the Messiah, the anointed, promised Christ of God. That is the promise that he's the Lamb of God that takes our sins away. That is the truth that he is the ark of our redemption carrying us safety through, safely through God's judgment. That is the truth that he is the high priest that goes on our behalf. That is the truth that he is the Lord that rules and the king that reigns. That is the truth that he's the redeemer who redeems us in his very own blood. That is the truth that he is the living stone that he is the living hope that does not perish, that does not diminish in the circumstances of life. That is the truth that he is the suffering servant who suffered in our stead. That is the truth that he is the risen defeater of death, the victor of Calvary's hill. That is the truth that he is the word of God. In the beginning was the word. That is the truth that he is the anchor that holds, the righteous judge, the alpha, the omega, the first, the last. That is the truth. He's the one that makes all things new. He is the light of glory, the lamp of heaven. That is the truth. He's the son of God, the son of man, the seed of a woman. How long you want me to go? Oh, listen to me. That is the truth of Jesus. Every one of those, those are the truths of Jesus. Friends, listen to me. It is in Jesus and the truth of Jesus by which we are saved. You know why the truth matters? It's because in the knowledge, the truth of Jesus, oh, the kinsman redeemer, 
Oh, I could keep going. It's in the truth and knowledge of Jesus that we're saved. There's no salvation outside of the truth of Jesus. How precious is that truth? Peter says, we see in that, we see in his divine power, we have been granted in that salvation everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, in the truth of Jesus, in our salvation, we have been granted in the divine power of Jesus everything pertaining to life and godliness. Friends, let me explain that. Here's what that means. Peter says, having the knowledge of the truth of Jesus, we are saved. By faith, when we receive the truth of Jesus, we are saved. When we are saved, his power as God has granted to us his divine power, his power as God has given to us everything, that's an important word, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now stay with me, we're almost there. Here is what that means. In Jesus, we have everything we need for life. We have everything we need for godliness. Listen to me, be sure of this. In the truth of Jesus and in its resulting salvation, there is nothing we are lacking as followers of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else we need as followers of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that this morning? We have all we need in Jesus. We don't need anything else. We don't have to scramble around and look for anything else. We have all we need in Jesus. Let me tell you something. We don't need more truth. We don't need another word. We don't need another testament of Jesus Christ. We don't need baptism to forgive our sins and to give us life. In fact, we don't need any religious act. We don't need any work. Nothing has been left undone. We do not need any more of anything. We don't need more of the Holy Spirit. We don't need another filling, another baptism with the Holy Spirit. We don't need a special knowledge that's not revealed here. Hear me, it means in the grace and the power of God, it is settled, and so we are safe to rest on Jesus. That's tremendous. We can rest on Jesus. We don't need anything else. In him we have all we need. Now, I can't stay that strongly enough. I feel like just backing up and preaching it again. I won't. I can't say that strongly enough. Listen, friend, if you need something more, you're sitting there, I need something more. I'm going to tell you what you need. You need more of the truth of Jesus. That's where grace is found. That's where peace is found. We have everything we need in the truth of Jesus. All right, verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Let me read that again, another loaded verse. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. How precious is this truth? Why does Satan attack it? It is in 
his truth, in the truth, that we have salvation. And in salvation, we have his precious and magnificent promises. Now, that's the word of God. That's how he describes his own promises. In our salvation, having received the truth of Jesus in faith, in our salvation, we have his precious and magnificent promises. Now, what are those? I wish we had time. I'd tell you all of them. I wish we had time. But I'm going to tell you some of them. Let me tell you some of the promises we have. In Jesus, we shall not perish, but have eternal life. Wow. The promise of God, John 3, 16, in Jesus. Those without Jesus are perishing. The Bible says all the day long in Jesus, we shall not perish, but have eternal life. In Jesus, we are a new creation. The old has passed away. Praise the Lord for that. That is the promise of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. In Jesus, therefore, there is no condemnation. Now, let that sink in for a minute. In Jesus, there is no condemnation. That's the promise of God, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. In Jesus, we heard this last couple weeks, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You thought you were a nobody. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that is the promise of God. In Jesus, we who have no righteousness, who stand stained in our own sin, here's what happens in Jesus. We become the righteousness of God. Now, can you imagine that? You, I, we, we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, that is the promise of God. In Jesus, we have washed our robes so that we have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into that city. Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, in Jesus, we have the promise of heaven. In Jesus, we have a place prepared, secured in the cross of Calvary. And Jesus will come again and receive us unto himself, that where he is there, we will be also. Let me give you a, a hint right here. If you ever can't find me, look for me there. You ever can't find me? Look for me there. We're going to be with Jesus. That's the promise. And listen to me. In the knowledge of Christ, receiving that knowledge, receiving the truth of Jesus in faith, those promises, precious and magnificent, those are our promises. That's not some superstition. That's not some hope to help us get through a tough life. Those are the promises of God. Not only that, I don't know how you top that, but he tries. Not only that, he goes on in verse 4, and by those promises, we have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, it means this. This is awesome. In the truth of Jesus, by putting our faith in the truth of Jesus, we have escaped the corruption of sin, the punishment of sin, the guilt and the stain of sin, all brought by lust. And here's the truth. Those promises make this true. Instead, the Bible says we are partakers. That is a word that means sharers. We are sharers. That doesn't make sense. How does that happen? We are sharers in the divine nature. 
Now that's talking about the life of God. That's the divine nature, the life of God. In Jesus, the life of God becomes our life. We've passed from death to life. That's happened in the truth of Jesus. In Jesus, the divine nature, the life of God becomes our life. Think about some of the things Jesus said and how they make sense now. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, believes in the truth of the knowledge of Jesus, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, that's talking about believing in the knowledge of the truth of Jesus. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes, that's talking about believing in the knowledge of the truth of Jesus. That person believing will never die. We have life. Praise the Lord in the truth of Jesus received in faith. So do you see how precious that is? Do you see why Satan wants to steal that away? Do you see why Satan doesn't mind a church that'll teach anything but the truth of the gospel? Do you see why, listen to me today, we have to hold it. We have to defend it. We have to be prepared to stand and preach it. I've been watching election week coming up. And I, I watch people get, people get wrapped up, and it's, it's a big deal. It's a concern. Oh, we're doomed if this doesn't happen. Oh, we need this to happen. Oh, this. I want to tell you the most pressing thing is this. Listen, you want to know the most pressing thing? It's not who wins in election day. It's not even who leads our nation. The most pressing thing is this, that a, a world that has the gospel of Jesus Christ would hear the truth of that gospel through a church who said the number one thing, the biggest priority, the most precious treasured thing is upholding the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, go vote on Tuesday, but know what? Witness on Monday and Wednesday. The world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, listen to me. Do you know the truth of Jesus? Do you know the truth of Jesus? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done for you in his grace and his love? Do you know what he offers to you by faith in that grace? Do you know who Jesus is? If you've never trusted Jesus, I want to tell you your answer's in him. Peace is in him. God's grace is made known to you in the truth of a Savior, a remedy for sin, the Lamb of God that's paid for it all and stands in victory. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know the truth of our Savior? Second thing is this. If you do, are you growing in that truth? Are you growing in your knowledge of Jesus? Are you growing in the knowledge of his word? Do you see him differently than you did a month ago? Do you see him differently than you did a year ago, three years ago? Are you growing in the knowledge of Jesus? Are you a person to say, I'm content to know what I know. I'm content to know nothing further. My magnificent Savior, oh, I can't imagine, but I don't want to know. Are you growing in the truth of Jesus? Because, brother, sister, you're missing out if you are, if you're not. If you don't know Jesus, turn to him. If you do know Jesus, 
grow in him. The way we do that, the word of God. Let's pray. During Father, we come. I'm thankful for your truth, Jesus. I'm thankful for a hope grounded in truth, not wishful thinking. Thankful for a Savior that stands, a remedy that's sure. Thankful that there's peace today. I pray, Lord, that there's somebody that doesn't know you, and maybe they're straining, and maybe they're struggling, and maybe they're trying to find a way. Maybe they're in this room, maybe they're somewhere else, and they can't find any peace. They're tired of the absence of peace. They're tired of the guilt of sin, Lord. I pray that the preached word of Jesus, a risen Savior, will be heard and be received. And I pray, Lord, it'll bear much fruit for your glory. Lord, I pray for us as believers as we hear this, as we tend to worry, as we tend to fret, as we tend to get distracted. Lord, I pray we'd say, Lord, I want to know you better. Lord, I'm going to open your word and I ask that you speak to me. I want to know you better. From Genesis to Revelation, show me yourself, Lord. I want to know you better. Help us to grow in your knowledge and then help us to stand in your grace and in your peace. Lord, I pray that we've been instructed today. I pray we take it to heart today. I pray that there's a difference that comes out of this day. I pray it's for your glory and for your name's sake. And I pray all of it in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to end with a time of response, a time of invitation. I want to tell you, I say it every week, but God's word calls for a response. And today, if, you, if you're here, if you're listening, you never trusted Christ, you have a response to make. You'll reject Christ and you'll keep going or you'll accept Christ. And in doing so, you'll receive the grace of God, the salvation of your soul. You'll receive your Savior, Jesus. You have a, a response to make today. Listen, if you've never turned to Christ, do it today. If you need more information, let's talk. You come, let's settle this today. Second response is this. Offered to us is more grace and more peace in the knowledge of Jesus. How would we not commit to that? How would we commit to not seeking, desiring a greater knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord? May this be that day. You know what? I've got to change my schedule around a little bit. You know what? I've got to change my priorities around a little bit. You know what? I'm going to have to let some things go, but I want to know Jesus, and I want to know him more deeply. I want to know him more closely. How would that not be our response? That's a call today. You'll either say, what, I'm fine knowing what I know now. I'll catch up with him in heaven. Or you say, what, I want to know my Savior. And I want to know him better. And I want to know him closer, more closely today. That's your response as well. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. If God is speaking to you, if you have a decision to make, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here at the front. If God is speaking to you, you come on. I'll meet you here.